I know it doesn't make any sense, but you can't say that. And I don't even know how to explain it other than me and you are brothers. But the difference in the color of our skin brings into play some things that just can't happen. Welcome back to In Session with Jared and Clay. I'm Dr. Jared Cox, and today we have a really good show for you. Clay and I are joined again by special guests, Dr. Greg Harris and Chaplain Jason Darden, who have been fantastic for this series on racism. And today's show is about black people using the N-word. And we're talking about this because lots of people question it, but they can't really talk too much about it. It's hard to talk about it without putting yourself at risk. It's hard to talk about it without putting your relationships at risk. It's a risky conversation to have, no doubt about it, but lots of people want to know why in 2020, with all the fighting that black people have done to rid our world of this hate-filled, oppressive N-word, why is this word still used in the black community? And, of course, that question leads to other questions, and we're going to talk about those, too, as the conversation moves, so you better buckle up. Oh, and stay tuned to the end. I have a couple bonus clips for you. A couple big laughs that happened after we finished recording that you don't want to miss. Now we're ready. Fellas, welcome back to the studio. So I sent you all a text this week asking if we could talk about black people using the N-word. Because we all know that white people have no business using that word, but some black people do still use it. So I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about it tonight. It's interesting because it's really a a contentious discussion in the African-American community big time. So, and and you're in one of two camps, right, where it's totally off limits and it's a terrible word and you should never use it. And then the other side is we have embraced it. So the way I grew up was, I mentioned this several times, my grandpa lived through Jim Crow and, and all of that good stuff. So when I would hear him talk, he would use the word. I mean, he would use that word. He'd use several other words just because it was a part of his like vernacular. It, it was very strange. Like he would just drop it and he would say it in front of white people too. <laughs> like, what? I mean, and he did just no limits. It wasn't negative. It was more, this is how people viewed us. And he would use it in that context. You know, back in the day they used to view and he would just drop the word and I'd be like, oh, oh my goodness. Right. And so there was no filter with my grandpa. Right. Even till now. And so I grew up in a context where the word was used and in other words, just not just the N word, but other stuff, you know, and I could go through the list, but I'm not going to go through the list. I grew up hearing it. So naturally I picked up on it and I would use the word in one of two ways. One to say, this is how people view us. We're nothing but, you know, the N words to people. And then the other side is when hip hop culture started getting really, really big and you would hear it in music. And then I started using it in, in that context. And so I wasn't a part of of the family unit that said that word was off limits, but we weren't to use it publicly. It was just amongst us, amongst our people, amongst our groups, yeah. amongst our family. Inside so, the community. Yeah, inside the community. If I ever use that word out in public, my mom or my dad would be like, uh-uh, we, we, we don't do that. So yeah, it's a mixed bag, but that's kind of how I came up. Is, yeah. is that yeah. similar? Or? Yeah. There's a lot of similarities and then some differences there. I don't really remember 
my family using it much. Mm -hmm. The adults in my family did not use that much, if at all. I don't know if I ever heard that come out of any of their mouths. I basically started hearing that word when I was coming up, you know, and you're playing football and you're playing basketball and you're with those guys and it was starting to be thrown out. And then, like you said, Jason, the hip hop culture, it became a big thing in a right, lot of the right. songs. And and I say this just for clarification, for me, it always in, ended in an A, not an ER, not that, you know, mm-hmm. saying any differences, but for us, that's how we used it. So I began using it. Yeah. I mean, I it came out of my mouth every day especially when I was around my boys and, mm-hmm. you know, at school. And that's how we referred to each other in some ways, I'll be honest with you. And it became kind of a big thing. I remember the first time I, I was uncomfortable with that word was when one of my best friends, who really was my best friend, who was white, who always hung around all the black guys. Right, right. And he said it and he said, oh, man. Right. And then and I, I, I froze. Mm-hmm. And I, I, said, I said, Chad, you, you, you can't hang out with us anymore, man. I was like, that's not, you can't, you got to quit hanging out with us, man. You, that's not good. And really what we were just saying to him was, don't use that outside of us. It's a little uncomfortable using it with us, but definitely you'll be fine if you use it with us. But do not, outside of this group, don't ever call anybody that. And, you know, I couldn't blame him, I yeah. mean, because he was one of us. Yeah. I mean, we used it around him. So who can blame him? I mean, we threw it out all the time, and that's what he heard. So that's kind of how I grew up using yeah. it. I have an almost identical story to that. When I was playing, and it was late 70s, you know, when I was playing college football and early 80s, and I had a good friend on the defense. I was captain of the defense and a, a safety, and I considered him a great friend. We, you know, we'd been in the trenches and worked worked hard, and I'll, I'll never forget this because a very similar situation and where, where he and some of our other black players on the team would use that refer to us, and we were we were in a group and I said it and I almost said it just in my mind it came out just as we're all united but as soon as I said it it, you know it was like the head snapped up (laughs) and he this particular friend looked at me and was like are you out of your mind (laughs) and I said I said what you know I mean clueless you know I'm Young athlete. I'm like, what? So to his credit. Yeah, yeah. And I've never forgotten it, ever. And he said, I know it doesn't make any sense, but you can't say that. Yeah. And I don't even know how to explain it other than me and you are brothers, and we're united through this context of of athletics. But the difference in the color of our skin brings into play some things that just can't happen. When you're in a family with someone and your brother, and you may get shirt tearing mad, and you may cuss and fist fight and holler, and I mean, I mean, really get after it with your brother because that's what brothers do. Right. But then you go out that night and someone else says something about your brother. No, that ain't happening. You know, we're not we're not going to stand for that. And that was the closest he could get to kind of explaining that. Uh, and and I accepted and said, I'm sorry. I didn't think like. That I didn't think about that. There was nothing, you know, in there. And he said, you're fine, man. I'm just telling you, you know, because one of these days you might be out there without me. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want that to happen yeah, because, yeah. because I know who you are and I know your heart. Right. I'll never forget that. That was back by 1979. 
And when we had that conversation, now, all these years later, I understand much more in terms of the context of, you know, of what's going on. But I will say that I believe it remains a very perplexing idea and question, particularly to white people. You know, I mean, they have and hold the question of what in the world? Why is that uh, complete, utterly offensive, you know, for us to say an absolute no-no, which I believe that's accurate. But then in another context, we can witness and hear other people, people of color or black people using it, and it's acceptable. I understand the perplexing incident there of that apparent contradiction. I can talk a lot about that, but again, you know, you, you guys chime in because I don't know if I'm ready to start boring everybody. I'll chime in because we all have a cultural flagpole, like something that really defines our culture. I think the way I could put it this way, in the Army, we have rangers and special forces, right? So my dad's a ranger. And when you go to ranger school, you go through a lot of stuff. And at the end of it, they give you a ranger tab that you get to wear on your uniform, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody in the Army wants to be a ranger. That's what everybody wants to do, right? But unless you went through ranger school and went through and experienced all that stuff, you better not put that tab on. That is off limits because you're not a part of that. You didn't go through what that community went through. And whenever we see posers who wear a ranger tab that aren't supposed to be wearing it because they didn't experience what the rangers experienced, you better take that off immediately. So I think all of us, if we look broad enough, we all have mm -hmm. flagpoles that define our culture or whatever it is that are off limits to people who are not a part of the community. So we do this exactly with a lot right. of stuff, a lot right. of stuff. So it's confusing to me why, if I can say white folk, why white folk don't understand that, don't mm -hmm. get that. Like, you know, a ranger can say to another ranger, hey, what's up, ranger? You know, you right. better not use that if you're not a ranger. Like, right. I, so I'm confused on why that's hard to understand. I, I, I hear a little bit of it, though, because black culture is amazing. It's amazing. It is amazing. Like, and people want to adopt elements of the black culture. And that doesn't make me upset because right, our culture right, is amazing. Right. And we call it cultural appropriation. You guys know right. all of that, right? So I understand nowadays young people, they really want to use that word just because it's it's the culture. And I want to be down with the culture, right? But you will get popped real quick <laughs> if you're not a part of the culture and using the word. So I talked about the kind of the double meaning, the double entendre. We, I mean, the way you use it. Right. Makes, it, makes a big difference right. who it's coming right. from, right? And you have to have a keen ear to recognize that. You you really do. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. so somebody can say that word and I can feel some kind of way because of just the, the atmosphere and the environment. It didn't feel well. Whereas when I go to East Oakland and I see my, my friends from Oakland and it's, what's up, man? You know, yeah. it makes me yeah. feel like my, my people. Yeah, I, part I feel of, part yeah. of the community again yeah. and it feels great. So I struggle a little bit with why can't you understand that some things are off limits if you're not a part of the community? Yeah. I think at least one of the reasons that there is a struggle, when you exist as a part of the majority, and by that I mean the, the majority of people then who have not really personally experienced oppression, certainly at that level, you're not aware. You don't see anything but the apparent contradiction that's been boiled down to mm -hmm. one person can use a word and one person can't. Okay. See, what see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because there, there's not a thought process 
if I should say, non-oppressed. And keep in mind, I'm generalizing because everybody has experienced micro-oppression, but I'm talking in the larger Mm -hmm. context. Right, right. You know, the majority does not see nor think of those kind of things. And your example is great. You know, the one about the Army Ranger starts making sense to people like Mm -hmm. him being a part of that community. I wouldn't just adopt a phrase and apply it and use it for myself if I wasn't a part of. Right. So that's at least Mm -hmm. part of it. What was your thought? I'm answering this as a black man. My thought on this is I've changed a lot with this word and it's kind of interesting that I have from someone that used it a lot. Remember at one point in time, my mom and dad told me, and I was out of college, don't use that word. They heard me using and they don't use that word. So my brother and I would sneak around and use it. <laughs> we call each other that and just being ornery, but it was part of my vocabulary. The, the beginnings of that word and what it was meant for and what it described is so hurtful to that oppressed group. And it was a word to put down. And it still is in a lot of ways, you know, I say, especially when used as a description, basically also from a white person to a black person, and you're referred to as that. So it's so negative for a white person to see me take that same word and use a word that is so demeaning to me that I may have told you is demeaning. That word to me, just that's the word. It just grates me. But then I turn around and I use it. I think it causes a lot of confusion (laughs) within the white culture. That's my thought. Yeah, absolutely. So me and all my friends, it was a big group of, it had to be 40, 50 guys. We were all sitting around and track me, sitting in the stands, just talking and throwing it around. My dad was sitting over there, former Marine. And that word to him has been nothing but derogatory. He got it also in the military. He'd mm. been called that. And he got up and came over there. And I'm telling, I mean, like I said, a 6'5", 250, 260-pound <laughs> guys that played linebacker in the NFL. I mean, there was two or three of those guys. And my dad proceeded for five minutes to tell us about that word and told us he didn't ever want to hear us using that again, especially out there. I mean, because we were loud. Mm-hmm. And... You could hear a pin drop for the rest of that track meet <laughs> when my dad said, you know, I was embarrassed because that was, everybody mm-hmm. knew that was my dad. So I hated that my dad was the one that came over. and, But he taught us something that day. Again, like I said, I continue to use that, you know, not where he could hear it, but I continue to use that amongst that friend group and then even some in college until I was directly called that word with the ER on yeah, the end. yeah. And now it took on a whole new meaning for me because at that time, I had never been called that in a derogatory way. It had always been in a, that's my brother, that's my dude, you know. But when I got it used that way, there was a shift for me in my thinking. And it took a lot of work. That's not a word that comes in my vocabulary much anymore. I have a hard time now listening to (laughs) music that has that word in it. And I used to just love, you know, and I say rap music, that's where it was the hip hop culture. That's where it was used a lot. And I love hip hop, love it. I'll go to my grave loving hip hop, but I'm careful, especially now more so for my son of what he uses and what he says, because this just become, especially in the climate of where we are at right now, it's a tough word. 
it's a very tough word. It's always been a tough word, but it's kind of risen its head again and become real popular. Greg, I love that. I love that because I think that flushes out one side of the nuance right, of, right. of all of this and the ambiguity. I didn't grow up that way. Right, like, like right. It's very interesting. The way I grew up was, and my parents still tell me this, and it used to bother me. And I think the reason why is because I didn't see any difference between me and white people or Hispanics. or We're all the same. So yeah. I walk into a room and I'm not thinking I'm the black guy in the room. I'm just in the room. And that's the way I've been conditioned. So what my dad used to tell me is you better remember when you walk into that room, you're a black man and don't you ever forget it. Right. So so the way I grew up was you need to remember this is how the culture views you. Right. Yeah. An N word to a lot of people in America still to this day when they first see you. Mm. So don't ever forget that. And what you do is you embrace that and you say, yes, that is me. Right. And I love it. Right. And in my family unit, we don't use it amongst like I don't my dad and stuff. We don't talk <laughs> like that. But every once in a while, he'll remind me, hey, remember who you are and how America has typecasted you. So we use it as a way to remember mm -hmm. that. And what's interesting is I don't think I've ever been called the N word to my face by anybody non-black. And I think if I did, I, I don't know. I hadn't had that experience, so I can't speak too much on it. But I would just probably look at them like they're crazy. Like, what do you, what do you, because that word, I'm not, I'm so disconnected from what it actually was like. Right. Like I wasn't a slave. I didn't have to ride the back of the bus. I didn't. So if you use that word, it's not going to mean as much to me right. as it would have if you said it to somebody living in 1890 or something like that. So it's a strange thing, but yeah, I, yeah, I use yeah. it to always remember you're a black man living in America and don't forget it. Even in yeah. a binge, you still a, in a coop, right? <laughs> <laughs> the famous words of Kanye West, right? Yeah. So, and I have to be reminded of that. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's important to remember it because I hate to say it this way, but I think it's true. Just because race isn't a problem for me doesn't mean it's not a problem for you. Just because I'm not prejudiced doesn't mean you're not prejudiced. And I have to be mindful that I've got to be shrewd as a serpent, but harmless as a dove, because mm. there are people here that are extremely prejudiced. And, and I hate to say it that way. I think we live in a great nation, but I think we're seeing it right now in the midst of what's going on politically my goodness yeah. right i have to always remember that i'm walking amongst a bunch of people and some people they might not like me because of my ethnicity my culture and my race and i gotta right. I, I can't be aloof right like whoop to do yeah. this is america everybody's good yeah. no i have to be careful i have to be careful safety issue for yeah you. it's a safety yeah. issue those, those are the facts yeah Greg, I'm curious, what is the difference that you see between the A ending and the ER ending, and what does that mean? The only difference that I have, and I was curious, Jason, to ask you, so when your grandfather used it, was it ER on the It end? was ER. ER. <laughs> so, so I have not heard many. Now, that's not true. I've heard black people call other black people if they're acting a certain way. Yes. That. Yeah. But when we talk to each other, it's like my boy, my dude, my friend, it always had an A ending. It wasn't ER. Even if we describe another black person with ER, it was in a derogatory way, in a way. For me, it was, man, see how those are acting? That was an ER. 
if I came up to somebody and said, hey, that's my, hey, what's up, my, that was an A. That was an A, Andy. Because if an ER slipped out <laughs> with that dude, it wouldn't have, would have been, we might not have been friends much longer. Yeah. You know, just for us, ER has just always been negative until I had a talking to and the, and the A became negative too, as far as how my parents and other adults that I looked up to, how they looked at it. They didn't like A ending, ER ending, any kind of ending or beginning. Maybe a good time to look at the process by which these things begin to evolve and occur. And it's fascinating discussion. Just as you mentioned, even within the community, the smaller friend group community, there was an evolution of rules Yes, that come forth. And really, we're talking about that in a way. It's like, what are the rules that come into play when we start interacting amongst ourselves and mixing some cultural things? And that's part of cultural competency Mm -hmm. and, and everything else. But there's a cultural phenomenon that goes way, way back. It's not talked about. It's not studied a whole lot, at least by stranger folks, maybe. But it's linguistic reclamation. There's another avenue. I was talking with a good friend of mine, Dr. Lee Edwards, who is very involved in some of these things we're pushing for. And he studies liberation theology and musicology. And I wish he was here actually today because I probably won't do it as good a justice as, as he would. But the other idea that's akin to that is actually called study of guerrilla semiotics. When you look at these ideas, let's unpack that just a little bit because this is the process that occurs. All words, all language are metaphors. They're symbols. We make them up and we assign the meaning. And over the course and evolution of time and a shift in context, sometimes those meanings change and evolve. Sometimes those words or symbols are used differently than what they used to be. So I'm going to give some examples and get your take on it and then try to wrap it up. But in all situations where there is a group whether it's a subsystem or a subculture, and they were in a situation of oppression. The systemic connections that exist between the oppressor and the oppressed are always at play. And the oppressor, whether they know it or not, will create symbols, words that carry a derogatory meaning. And they're used to signify who's in charge, who's in control, and what my place is in reference to what your place is. So any subculture that has been in a position of being oppressed has had those types of words and symbols used against them. And so what happens, and it's probably subconsciously driven, but it's it's fascinating to think about, what oppressed subsystems or subcultures, minority, if you will, will do is then they will reclaim that word or that symbol. They will adopt it. There'll be a reclamation of that idea, which was intended to be derogatory and used in shame. They will take it and then begin to use it as a sense of identification within the community. And it's actually a demonstration of you're not as in charge as you think you are, Mm. you know, a statement back to the oppressor. And here's a couple of examples that will apply to us. And there's some people just simply see it as differences, cultural differences. But in many cases, it's actually a product of this linguistic reclamation. When I say linguistic, not just words, but other symbols. If you're separated by socioeconomic class, if you're poor, and you have been the recipient of hand-me-down 
clothes that were given to you by a charitable organization that had had good intent. If you look back at that picture, you will find that a lot of people had to wear oversized clothes. We cared, or the group cared enough to give you clothes, but they didn't really care enough to give you clothes that fit you. You just deal with it. It's it's kind of an interesting idea, but, you know, there's been a subcultural phenomenon about really baggy pants that don't fit. And there'll be a group of people that look at that and go, what in the world? What is that about? And culture as a whole doesn't ever really consider this bigger picture that that's that's actually a reclamation of a symbol at one time that we couldn't really do anything about. So we just adopted it, started using that, for lack of a better word, and it normalizes the situation within our community. So now oversized fitting hand-me-down clothes are not any longer an indication that I'm poor and in need of charity. It's just what we wear. Right. It's the style. Yeah. It's the end thing to do now. And so we've reclaimed that symbol, which is not really an example of someone trying to be derogatory, but I'm saying it's just a cultural fact. We reclaim that symbol, turn it into something that speaks to our identity. Something that was previously shameful now is something that bonds us together. And through the course of human history, cultures do that all the time. You may find some socioeconomic groups who are really into bright neon colored clothing. And we see that and a lot of people are like, why do we do that? Well, again, it could come into the fact of the types of positions that we hold in the workforce. We work in some of the utility and construction and sanitation type jobs and these little vests and uniforms that are bright neon colored things because it signifies, look, there's a sanitation worker. And if you really back out and take a look at a big picture and you'll see groups of people who begin to adopt those type of symbols and use them as a sense of pride within their community. And this is in some way what happens with the N-word, a word that from the oppressor was originally meant as a degradation, a shameful, put down, put you in your place type word. But within the community, it can be adopted, changed just a little bit, and then begin to symbolize the unity and the connection that we share as the oppressed. And so this process that occurs is fascinating to me when you look at these cultural studies. And so those are just a couple of examples. Do you know that one time in this country's history that to have and wear blue jeans was really bad? Mm. You were really poor if you wore blue jeans. Then all of a sudden, because more people had less money than had more money, everybody started wearing blue jeans. And then there was a big shift in the culture. And now that meaning from a long time ago is almost dissolved. It's normalized. And so it's a real subconscious effort to normalize our position by taking symbols and words and and reclaiming them and changing the meaning. Pickup trucks used to be things that only farmers had or workers. Nobody wanted a pickup truck. Nobody. That indicated that you could not afford a nice automobile. But now pickup trucks are, are the norm. You think about automobiles in general. You think about how you take care of your automobile. 
is another example. If you were a chauffeur and you were relegated to taking care of the car and it had to be immaculate for whoever it was you were working for, that was your role you know, in that position. It's a fascinating idea to adopt the level of car care and to apply it across the board to a community. That we take these things and begin to try to normalize them, sometimes for our own healing and our own unity, and then sometimes just as a statement to the majority or to those who used to be oppressors. I want to say this because I want to bring it around to probably the most iconic example of this that there's ever been. It goes way back thousands of years ago because there was two pieces of wood at one time that formed a cross which was the instrument by which you would be executed. And it was the most, at the time, the most derogatory, the most shameful, horrible symbol of death. And the status by which you were put to death was connected with that cross. There was no symbol probably in the history of mankind that was as degrading, as shameful, or as meant from the oppressor to put you down. And that cross now... And it didn't happen early on. It took hundreds of years. But that cross now was reclaimed. And it was pulled into a community at the time, which was still marginalized, oppressed. The meaning of that symbol has changed dramatically over thousands of years, hasn't it? And now, now it means something completely different. But those early Christians back in the first several centuries, they did not use the symbol of the cross. It still was very much shameful and a derogatory idea. They used the little symbol of the fish to indicate their community. And so that's the most iconic example of linguistic reclamation that really should reach out to everybody. Everybody ought to be able to connect with that one and understand the evolution of of that symbol. And so why that process occurs I don't know if I can explain that. I just know that it does. And that we who have been a part of a minority or a group who has experienced oppression at any level will subconsciously do that that reclamation. And that's a fascinating idea to me. Not one that I could articulate when I was 20 years old, standing there with my buddy as we talked about, about the ins and outs of what we should or should not say. I certainly couldn't articulate that then, and I don't know that I've articulated it very good even today. But the, the group who has not been oppressed, this does not make any sense to Harley. I have a very difficult time connecting with this idea. The group who has been oppressed has no trouble whatsoever. Mm. You know, understand And understanding the distinctions of, of why you would use it and why you would not. So I appreciate you sharing those stories because that was, you know, y'all really kind of came from two different camps there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier the Rangers concept and the, the flagpole. What do you see a white flagpole? And if so, what is it? Ooh, that's tough. That's a really good that's question. That's a great question. I think the white flagpole... And this sounds so bad because it sounds so judgmental. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to use my words very, very carefully. Maybe the right word is control. I might almost put maybe fluency, like your possession. And that sounds so bad because it yeah. sounds so judgmental. Yeah. But from my angle, that's the way I see it. Like 
what it means to be white is we maintain our position. We will protect that at all costs. And nobody's able or welcome to come in and try to challenge that. So from where I sit, that's kind of what I sense. And it sounds so prejudiced and so bad, but I don't know. That's what I feel. And maybe the reason why I feel that is because of everything that I'm watching on. Maybe I'm just indoctrinated by fake news. I don't know, but yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, no, don't, I, don't I, challenge my my control. I mean, you know, I think Jason hit it on the head. As far as I'm concerned, the dilemma to me for a black person and just listening to what you said, your dad reminds mm-hmm. you that you're always. We want to be loved and accepted by the controllers, but still maintain our own identity. Mm-hmm. And that's the dilemma because even in the, I tell you what's even maybe more of a dilemma and I don't want to go too deep because I know we're trying to finish things off, but the black community gives a little bit of grief to the black person that wants to just be in the control and they do not identify themselves with their people mm. no longer just mm-hmm. to get in a position of control to get up that white flagpole. Condi Rice? Uh, you, Possibly. You, yeah. you, you said that. I didn't say <laughs> <I'm laughs> <didn't> <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm, I'm asking that because it's been mentioned before, and it's coming up. I want to ask you guys about that more in the future, yeah. but whenever you Candace say that. Owens. Candace Owens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Condi Rice is a— Interesting one for me. I, I can see that. I do and I don't with her. <laughs> as as the young kids say, it's complicated. <laughs> but, you know, that's just kind of how I view it. I don't necessarily want to be on that white flagpole, but I do want to be respected by it for who I am. I think I've gone through a point in my life where, um, not to where i said, okay, I'm not, I'm not black or I don't want to be associated, but you get so focused with just trying to be accepted and respected by them that that becomes your focus. And that was bothersome to me. So just the freedom to be who you are. Yes. You're working on being accepted by another group and that's, those are not good interactions. Right. Right. There's another thing that kind of underpins this that I would throw out there. And again, generalization, but the majority is always scared that things will change. The minority is always scared that things won't change. And how in the world can we get people to talk and to to work together? And a lot of people will say, oh, well, well, people just can't communicate. That's not right. We don't have a problem with communication. We have a problem with collaboration. Mm -hmm. We have a country of people that do not know how to collaborate. It's not communication. And so those are very serious issues because they're completely addicted to individualism and competition. And when you put that in the if you're addicted to that, then you can't collaborate. So then we have a large group that's scared that uh, things are going to change. We're going to lose what we have, whatever that is. And you can fill in the blank, make it big or small. We're going to lose what we have. And then we have groups that are of smaller number that are scared to death that things aren't going to change. And often that's exactly what it looks like. Mm -hmm. What Clay said earlier about linguistic reclamation seems very relevant to me. I'm curious if you guys are aware of that, whether you agree with that, whether that is a conscious or a subconscious decision in response to cultural pressures. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. I think 
it's both and rather than either or. I think sometimes it happens and you're not aware that it's taking place. But then a lot of times, me, I have a tendency of being very intentional with it. I think of all the reclaiming. I love the illustration you gave about the cross. I heard of that as a minister, but I never really thought of it in that light before. And it made me think of Joseph, what you guys intended for evil, God meant for good. And and I love that. I just love that story. So I think it happens subconsciously initially. But then when you catch it, at least the way I do it, when I catch it, I go, oh, I'm about to be super intentional (laughs) about this. go all out. This is my power right now, right? (laughs) This is my strength, and I'm going to use that to my advantage. It sounds bad, but it's it's very, very true. So, yeah, you go both and rather than either one. Both and? Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I think it's a both and. The only thing I'd say, the cross, I mean, I only see it as a positive. That's just one of those things, as I look back, as I see only as a positive the example of baggy pants. Everybody then took that on. The only element of the N-word is that there's still just so much negative connotation that is associated with it. It's one of those things that we adopted, but it still provides a lot of hurt and yeah. hate. Yeah, it's and very, very early in the process. Very too, early in the so. process, Yeah. And so I, I don't historically. Yeah, my point certainly was not uh, well. Just hang on. The N word eventually right. is going to be okay. Everybody, I think it should be completely eliminated. Right. You know, my, myself, but but the process. Right. Sometimes the process turns to choosing the cross as a symbol, and it's evolved over the years. So much now that most people never think about that. Never, yeah. They don't. They don't really think about the origins of the hardships that, yeah, of that yeah. symbol. Do you know what that symbol meant to those early Christians? It was significant. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. oppression, and then they spend all of their life running for their lives, trying to keep from being murdered, torn apart, thrown into the lion's den. I mean, they are running for their life because of what they believe. They were severely oppressed, and nobody really pays much attention to that part of the story either. Right. So that cross to those early Christians, well, that wasn't a symbol that they identified with. In fact, it was as offensive, you know, if not more than the N-word. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to make those isomorphic saying that someday the N-word right, would be, right, right. be that accepted because, to be honest, I can't tell— which symbols are eventually going to, or which words are eventually going to be so normalized that they lose all of their previously intended sting. I hear such wisdom in everything you're saying, Coach, and maybe it's an oversimplification for me. You know, I tell people my IQ is not the highest, and I'm okay with that. I take pride in that. (laughs) You know, what really makes me upset, if I'm being honest, is the cultural appropriation and profit-making. And that's what we're up against right now from where we sit, because we have people who look at these symbols. And as I look at the N-word and even the hip hop culture, the African-American culture, what we see is we see the dominant group taking elements and then patting their pockets off of it while the marginalized people are not getting anything. Right. So that's what really fires me up right now. So I think we've all been in situations. I know Greg and I have where. We see a white person use the N-word or listen to hip-hop, and we go, man, uh, and it makes us upset because I think there's an element of there of it that 
this majority group is taking something that belongs to us. They, I guess it used to be y'all's, but it belongs to us now. And you're making money off of it big, big, big time, mm. right? I get fired up about that even yeah. now. I'm just Eminem. like... Eminem gets a pass because he, he and this is interesting. No, this is really cool. This is really interesting. Eminem's smart enough not to use the N word yes, if you notice is. Is yeah. in his records, yeah. but he gets a pass because he grew up in the community with the marginalized people on Eight Mile Road. Yes, so did. there are I, I have friends that grew up in the hood, like, yeah. and they are in every way like one of us. Yeah. But then those friends are wise enough not to use the word. Yeah. It's very interesting. They go. That's theirs. Yeah. Even though I grew up with them, there's something, there's a left and right limit, and I'm not going to touch that yeah. one, right? I hear what Clay is saying about reclamation, but how would you respond to the idea that the use of the N-word by black people represents a double standard in our culture? I think that's a big part of the problem for white people in all this. They don't understand why it's okay to have a double standard when such a hard line has been drawn in the sand about absolutely not using this terrible word. I think that's a big part of the tension. So I'd like to hear your comments. Yeah, I think you're right. But the flip side is if the flagpole for the white community is control, we welcome people to have a seat at the table, but they'll never be in charge of the, of the meeting. We want everybody to be equal, but there's, well, hold on now. We're going to make sure we keep this section and this is going to be us. The, you know, we say the good old boy club and right. that happens on a whole bunch of different levels. So I think it's a response to some of that too, mm. um, that you see those elements. And that's from where I sit, kind of what I see. Like, Are we'll you invite you to work here, but you're not going to be the president or you're not going to be the CEO of this or thing. Partner or partner. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's how you see it too, Greg? Yeah. And, you know, that question is a good question. It's really kind of an all-encompassing question of a lot of what we talked about today. As, as Coach said, someone who has not been oppressed to really know the damage that work has caused and still causes. We have used it and we have taken it, and I say we, the black community, has taken it to use it as, a, I hate to say term of, of endearment, because mm -hmm. that's not, I don't know, that might be correct, but it, you've taken someone so negative and we've used it to say, okay, we're going to take your negative word and almost says, I only call people that I love. Mm -hmm. You know, my friends and my brothers and my people, those were people, if I called you that, you were, I loved you. Right. It, it really almost meant, it, it was almost not black and white. It was hate and love. You know, kind of like, uh, what's that thing, do the right thing when you had hate, yeah. hate, hate <laughs> and love on the, on two, and, you know, it was almost like, I'm going to take that word that has been so hateful and use it now in, as a term of love. But, the white community never used it in a loving way, and, and it's still not used in a loving way. There's instances that are happening right now and have happened even in our community lately that that word has been thrown out and people have been hurt by it. It's hard to give y'all permission to use that word <laughs> because it's not ever been used in a way Except for like Coach and those white guys that kind of hung out with us that they used it and it was meant that way. But we kind of told them, yeah. don't, don't, don't <laughs> do that because it's not, you know. We got educated. Yeah. Jared, what's emerging, which is a major challenge, I think if we can look, it is a double standard. Everything's a double standard in this culture. The entire culture is set up on the fallacy of a double standard. And if you're shoved into having to operate in such a false dichotomy, 
you can have nothing but double standards. The problem is people selectively choose which double standards to look at and to hold up. I mean, our entire conversation is laced with this. There's a double standard in the larger context. Right. And you keep expanding and you go, yeah, what's the deal? You can't take a micro look at a double standard. It's all double standard. Right. It's not just one thing. Until we actually eliminate the way we think and process about interactions and relationships, Mm -hmm. we will all be, in a way, enslaved to a double standard. Our task as individuals is confront myself on how I perpetuate that fallacy. So fascinating discussion. Great question. As the answers emerge, it simply highlights our challenge. It circulates all the way back around to the very challenge that we're trying to address. So correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm taking away from this is we're going to agree there is a double standard. There cannot not be a double standard. But that's okay. For the N-word, that's okay. No, 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 no. You cannot not have a double standard in this culture. People need to wake up and understand that everything is a double standard. Because we're polarized. Because we're polarized. Because we're dichotomous. Yes. So to pull out one double standard and make a huge issue out of it, I say, is an erroneous attempt, you know, at more polarization. Scripture itself talks about double standards, right? You treated the Gentiles different than you treated the Jews. Like, if you're a Gentile and coming to Christ, you didn't have to get circumcised. So is this double standard okay is the question you asked in I think in certain contexts and situations, yes. Yes. It Double may, standard is okay. It, or it may be just seen as unavoidable in human nature. Mm-hmm. Probably warrants a lot more discussion. But to be selectively in tune to a couple of double standards and build some kind of case on those is inappropriate. It's like picking and choosing. It's proof texting. Which everyone is guilty of. Yes. We're all locked into this double standard. The problem is a lot of people won't look at it or see it in and amongst themselves. So we're saying it's okay to have some double standards? It's the reality. It's the present reality that we are trapped in a culture that is uh, double standard. And so our message to our listeners would be to be more empathetic with our reality uh, conscientious let's, let's take a look at what i don't think you yeah. can i don't know if you can say let's let's wake up on one side not on the other sides because there there are two sides i mean even oh, if we don't want it right, right. Mm. but i like the word you use i think is for our, our listeners to be more conscientious to be more thoughtful i think that's all we're trying to talk about what do you want the black listeners to come away with today i would say the majority doesn't understand. And and that's clear. And we've got to be empathetic with that. So we got to put down our dukes and realize that they make mistakes and they don't understand and they see discrepancies and they see a double standard within the community. And does a double standard exist? Yes, it does. And it's confusing to people. So for black people, that's what I would want them to know. Let's lead with empathy. And then I would also say the white community, I always think it's scripture, the strong bear with the weak. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some people in the majority don't feel or don't recognize. I get that. And that's hard. But strong people always bear with the weak. Always. And I learned this in ministry big time. And so for the white community, I would say it's the same thing. Just just empathy. Yes, there is a double standard. And yes, you had to proceed with caution and just leave with that. And that's OK to leave this with him, that there are not two sides to the circle. And, it, and if we continue to be enslaved to two side thinking, 
these challenges will plague us for eternity. The circle contains no sides. It's inclusive. It's connected. It brings us to the point of learning how to collaborate where we're all within. What I would love to happen is for what we did today white people that have that question to ask and for black people to sit down and to explain and for them to have a conversation to be thoughtful about that and even to the point to where if in the end you don't understand that's okay (laughs) that's okay that's what we're here there's a lot of things that are going on that i don't understand or that i still question but I, i love the conversation that we had here and my hope is that this conversation, and maybe this one in particular, happens more often. This is what helps us as people, the word coach used, to collaborate, to learn to grow together. And I think that's important. Okay, there you have it. Thanks again for listening to our show. And I want to say I appreciate your questions. Keep them coming and we'll try to get them on the show, especially the hard ones. Or the sensitive ones. I know a lot of people are afraid to ask questions. And to be honest, sometimes I am too, but I'm going to ask them anyway. So send us an email at hello at insessionpodcast.com and we'll try to get them on the air. I also want to say before I sign off that we all really need to be looking at how we think about double standards. They may be a reality for us today, but as we grow, tomorrow can look quite different. You want growth? You want change? Do yourself a big favor and go reflect on what Clay said about the circle. Circles don't have sides. Circles aren't disconnected or divided. Circles hold everything together. Double standards create division, and they create fear. I have some things I want to share with you about fear in my new blog, so check it out and make sure your email is registered with us on InSessionPodcast.com. And I want to say one more time, thanks to Greg and Jason for being such a big part of this series. We've been talking about it, and we're going to be talking soon about mixed families. So excited about that, and I think I'm going to do a little bit of experimenting with the show and see if we can go deeper. Keep those shares coming. We want the whole world to know about our mission, and we'll see you next time on In Session with Jared and Clay, and enjoy a couple laughs as you go. You know, there's a black barber right down on, down the street on on uh, race, and we're there one day, a white dude walked in, <laughs> get his hair cut, and I was like, there's, come on, there's 15 of them or 15 other people around here that you, why are you coming in here? And I, I talked to him, man, I, man, he does such a good job, doesn't he? I'm just like, dude, come on. Yes, he does. Can we have a space <laughs> I understand that you know in a way. I mean, yeah. I, I, I do see but it. Because I'm around a lot of white people and they're like, matter of fact, I had a conversation this weekend and I was talking to somebody about code switching and the guy, it was a white guy, he was like, are you code switching now or are you being like yourself? <laughs> He's like, I just want you to be you. I'm like, I am being like, that, that, that's, that's right. part of us. Right. I'm like, this is part, that's part you know? of us. But then, you know, what's, what's interesting, like I went to, I've been to Africa a few times. Yeah. It's a different feel. Oh, no doubt. It, I mean, I feel like I can walk around like my, you know, it's, it's a different feel. I'm just telling like, yeah. So yeah. I don't know what it is, but I think yeah. it is a little bit, like, I need to be comfortable, and that is a challenge. But I think that's a challenge with everybody. Yeah, I, it is. Right? 
talked about the n-word that's like whew. yeah you know the other thing in the black community is when black men marry white women Mm. Or yeah. <laughs> we need we yeah. need white families that have black yeah, and children. white families that have that's, black children. We something. need to talk about that. I was that's, talking to somebody this weekend about absolutely. that yeah. and the struggles they're going through raising two black kids. Yeah. They're like, Jason, we don't know what to do, man. Like we let's do. It. I have yeah. no idea yeah, what to that's do. That's a that's a that's a big one. 